Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Our guests will talk about the incredible popularity of comic books and graphic novels. First, we'll speak with author Greg Grunberg, who joins us by phone from Los Angeles. You may know Greg, who is also an actor, from Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and Heroes. For you old-timers, Greg appeared as Sean Blumberg in the TV series Felicity from 1998 until 2002. Today, he'll tell us about his new graphic novel, Dream Jumper. Then we'll hear from Lucas Turnblum, the co-creator of Dream Jumper. Lucas, who is an award-winning author, illustrator, and cartoonist, will join us by phone from San Diego. Last but not least, David Saylor will be in the studio. David is a creative director at Scholastic and also played a key behind-the-scenes role in Dream Jumper. He'll tell us about this and the popularity of graphic novels. First, author Greg Grunberg. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. We're thrilled for you for your new book. I have a few questions for you. And my first one is, I understand that you have three boys and a dream that one of them had inspired this book. Is that right? Absolutely. We have three beautiful boys. Right now, they are 12, 16, and 20. And our 16-year-old, when he was almost 12, he had a a dream, and it was very vivid, and it was a bit of a nightmare, and he woke up, and he was distraught, and we were putting him back to sleep. I was putting him back to sleep, and I said, you know, sometimes it's best to just talk about your dream. Tell me what it was. Tell me what it was. And he said it was so vivid. It it wasn't even my dream. It was like I was in my friend's dreams. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I was like a superhero. I was able to jump in and out of my friend's dreams and save them from their worst nightmares. (gasps) And and that's exactly my reaction. I gasped (laughs) and I said, you know, don't go to sleep. We're going to pay for college. I ran and got my laptop. No, that's that's the story. Uh-huh. I tell me why I put him I put him back to sleep. You know, he was he went back to sleep, and then the next day we were discussing it, and I then took that seed of an idea and built on it, and I had this idea sitting in my head for about a year, and I turned to a great friend of mine that I've known since I was five, J.J. Abrams, who we all know is a, a brilliant filmmaker and writer, producer, and director, and I said, J.J., this feels like a movie to me. I see it. I can see scenes. I can see story. The characters seem great. Here's my take on it. And he was like, and it was very simple still at that point. And he said, I love it. I love this world. This is, this feels like Harry Potter, but instead of going into the world of magic, you're going into the world of dreams and sleep. And that's an area that a lot of kids, they're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of going to sleep because it's, it's unknown. It's, it's almost like the ocean. There are parts of the ocean that we don't know about. And so when, when you can't tell what's beneath you, when you can't tell what's, you know, you're, you're giving up ultimate control when you go to sleep. And most of the time it's wish fulfillment and great dreams, but people have nightmares and it's a great vehicle for telling story and, and uh, creating a world. So he said, this feels like a graphic novel to me. 
Huh. Now, I did not grow up with graphic novels. I do not know much about graphic novels. I've, I've come to learn a lot about comic books uh, because of uh, the work I did on Heroes that had a lot of comic book themes to it, and comic books played a, a big role in that show. And then now I'm hosting a show on AMC called Geeking Out with Kevin Smith, and Kevin is the king of comic books. But when I had this idea and I talked to JJ, I was like, you know what, I, I, I love graphic novels, a few that I've kind of seen, but I don't really know them that well. Cut to Comic-Con, and I want to go and meet this incredibly talented illustrator, cartoonist, who I've been working with on a comic strip for my epilepsy website, Lucas Turnblum. Lucas, for a year, had been doing this gratis. He'd been doing this great strip for talkaboutit.org, where it was a, it was a workplace setting and all these great characters, and then one of the characters was going to have a seizure, and it was just to show that anybody could have a seizure, and it's, it's totally normal, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's been so generous with his time, I wanted to go and thank him. And I, I, you know, I, I interrupted his line, and I went up and I said, hey, Lucas, and then I realized, wait, this is the guy to talk to. And I said, <laughs> has anyone ever done this? Has anyone ever gone to, into the dream or the sleep world in um, graphic novels? Because he knows graphic novels. And he said, immediately I saw this reaction on his face, like, wow, this is a great idea. This is a great story we could tell. And from there, our relationship blossomed. We, he, we partnered together. He is a writer as well as a brilliant illustrator. And together, we um, wrote the whole book. And then we went out and met all of these pub, uh, you know, publishers, uh, Scholastic being the absolute top of the list dream partnership for us because I had grown up with Scholastic books like every kid does. And so as a parent, to think of a book that I co-wrote being in a scholastic book fair at my kid's school was beyond, and I'm pun intended, was a dream come true. And here I am, you know, a couple of years later, and, and I'm talking to you about a book that's out there and being well-received. So it, it's really been an incredible journey. Wow, that's so cool. And thank you for that plug for Scholastic, Greg. We're going to increase oh. your royalties now. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, Kevin Smith, J.J. Abrams, all these people that I've run across, uh, Robert Kirkman, uh, who does The Walking Dead, and he does, he's been in comics, in the world of comics. Everybody loves Scholastic. When I tell them that this is a Scholastic book, and, uh, you know, and, and it's super easy to get them to promote it or hold it up and say, buy this book, it's a Scholastic book. They all want to say the same thing, that it reminds them of their childhood and at a time when they were inspired to read. There are titles associated with Scholastic and young readers that really mold people and create reading habits that last forever. And everybody has... I mean, I'm sure, you know, people have comic books and they have other things, but every time I mention Scholastic, they spark and they're like, oh man, they're so jealous that I'm in business with this amazing uh, company. And that's, I mean, I know that sounds like a plug, but it's not. It's <laughs> like, I know we made the right decision and it's been wonderful. It's beautifully done. It just, it looks spectacular too. Lucas's illustrations just really, really make it. Thank you. And our colorist too, just did an amazing job. Yeah. It's every step of the way, we've all been on the same page. We have amazing editors at Scholastic. And again, this is a very new process for me. I'm, uh, I'm, I've written scripts before, feature scripts, TV scripts. I've produced things. So this was a world I was going into, which is much more long lead time. There are, there are major deadlines, but main, mainly the major <laughs> deadlines are for the illustrations. So it's been a lot of pressure has been put on Lucas, but we have been having such a great collaboration 
throughout this whole process. And, uh, uh, you know, I, we, we just completed book two. The illustrations are being finished, and, and then the colorization, the coloring is going to be starting. But I'm just so excited about this series. That is so great. I was going to ask you. So book one is Nightmare Escape. Do you want to tell our listeners what book two is about? I, I don't want to tease too much okay. about book two. That is such a crazy, difficult question to answer, and I am going to give the answer that I gave prior to Star Wars coming out <laughs> in as vague terms as I possibly can. I don't want to give away any secrets, but what is really exciting about book two is that Ben, our main character, realizes he's not alone. And I know that dream jumper is a singular term, but that is a label that will be attached to several dream jumpers out there. And when Ben realizes that he is in this, you know, in company with people, some people that are very close to him, it opens up the adventure in a bigger, more exciting way because the stakes are higher. It affects him personally. That is very, very cool. Did you always want to be a writer? Yes. As a matter of fact, writing has always been something of a passion for me. I loved creative writing in school. I was a decent student growing up. I, I, you know, I was right in the mid B's, high B range. I uh, wasn't a straight A student or an A student, but it was, it, my imagination always took me out of what I was reading, what I was studying. I needed a creative teacher, a creative mentor to keep me focused. And I think that's true of a lot of creative people. But I loved creative writing because there was a lot of control and a lot of leeway. And as far as I could, I could really take a story anywhere I wanted to take it. And I, even in a, if it was a, just a little paper or an interpretation of something that I had read, I always loved the idea that, okay, I can just put pen to paper here and I can write. Keeping me focused reading-wise was a tough thing back you know, when I was a kid. Now I do it for a living. I read scripts every single day. I'm writing. I'm reading. I have to keep up on things. I'm a visual learner, so story, I see story a lot more than I can follow story, you know, on the page if it's not something that's just really engaging page to page. But I I tend to gravitate towards things that have eventually, like in the comic world, I love Batman, Superman, you know, um, all the things that became visual entertainment, you know, became TV shows and movies, I would then go back and read, you know, the origin of, of that, whether it's a book or whatever. You know, when I was growing up, a couple of books, one, one author in particular, uh, Raul Dahl, really got me. That was something, the first book I, I remember just absolutely, I, I remember reading James and the Giant Peach, but then when I, when I read Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, I read that before I read Charlie and the, and the Chocolate Factory. So like that, you know, those are the types of stories that I gravitated towards when I was a kid. And that's a book that like I really remember so well. And of course, the movie, you know, that went along with that, mm-hmm. you know, kept, kept me just imagining endless possibilities. What about your own sons when they were younger? What types of stories and books did you enjoy reading to them and that they enjoyed hearing? Well, we used to do something, and this is thanks to my wife. My wife is a special education teacher, special uh, ed therapist, and she, and amazing mom, and she used to uh, insist that every night we would do fruit and stories. And it's, it's something that, it sounds so simple, 
It's like sitting down at the dinner table. Fruit and stories, fruit and stories, fruit and stories. That is something that, I, I mean, it's, it's so when we talk about it now, it's so funny because it was such a, a ma- major part of, um, you know, raising our kids. We would go and cuddle in their bed. And, you know, when we were putting them to sleep, we would have a little bit of fruit for them and we would read to them and we would read anything from, you know, early on, you know, any of the children's, the, the, um, the children's books to, you know, young reader stuff that we would read, you know, to them. But my wife being the English major that she was and the, um, ed, ed therapist, that was just really important. And I think it really helps. Look, they, but all three of our boys are, you know, they're, they're sports nuts. They're sports crazy. But, and it's still, uh, it's still a, a labor to get them to read the necessary material that they have to read for school. They're like any other kid, but they now can appreciate it. And they have an imagination for story. And it's one of those things where through osmosis, that you, you try and encourage your kids, you know, enjoy the, re- the reading and writing and, you know, get lost in it. It has to happen naturally. They have to gravitate towards something, whether it's Goodnight Moon or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was these, these books that we could, we would read a page and then we would ask them, what do you think is going to happen on the next page? Keeping them engaged, letting them use their imagination and then seeing if that's where the author actually paid, off, paid it off or, or went in that direction. And then, you know, it just led to, it took a little longer reading the book, but it doesn't matter because it's this story that's, that never ends. And it's at a time when they're about to go to sleep. So you're, you're sending them off into hopefully just a really imaginative and wonderful night of sleep. Gosh, I love this. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. <laughs> now, you're, you were also stealing from them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is every parent's job to steal from their children. I mean, you know, I'm 50 years old now. I can't, it, I, for me to connect with kids, I have to really put on my, you know, my mm-hmm. childlike helmet and say, okay, you know, what, what appeals to me? I think seeing the world through our kids' eyes is such um, – a privilege, and it's just—it's the most wonderful thing. Whether it's going back to Disneyland and seeing what they see for the first time, or experiencing a book that you've read, or watching a movie together, it's just wonderful. It's amazing to to see that. And then at the same time, the world's changing so much. Kids are exposed to so much today that we weren't when we were kids. We had to seek it out and find it. Now everything's available on their phones, and they're all carrying phones. You know, a twelve and up or whatever. Yeah. It, it's a really, really different world. And a lot of times that's not a good thing. We never had the news on uh, in the house. We still rarely, rarely have it on. It's just so depressing. I wish somebody did a show called Good News and you could just watch that episode <laughs> and all about the wonderful things in the world. And what we did instead was we would spend time watching, you know, shows together or, or reading. And it's, it's just really important. It's important to, to do that. But through that, you see what your kids gravitate towards, what they like. And kids have this unconditional creative side to them where they don't get in their own way. I think adults, as we, and I think it's true of all aspects of life, but throughout, when you get older, you analyze before you let yourself think or come up with something in your imagination. So in other words, if you have a great idea, as an adult, you're already censoring and editing yourself before it comes out because I think we're fearful of failure or fearful of coming up with a bad idea or what other people might think of us. We're being judged all the time. Kids don't. You know, that term, kids say the craziest things. Well, they do because 
They don't care <laughs> what people think. <laughs> and sometimes, most of the time, those are the best ideas. Right. And my wife, I remember when I first met my wife, Elizabeth has this side to her, this unconditional um, sense of humor and appreciation for things where if something's funny, she'll laugh. She won't look around to see if other people are laughing. It's a very subtle thing, but it's so sweet, and it made me immediately fall in love with my wife. I was like, this is what everybody – I could just see it on her face. She's just enjoying things without worrying if, if she's part of a group of people that are enjoying the same thing. I, I hope that makes sense. It's, it totally does. It, yeah. It, oh, that's sense so of, great. You know, it's like you're on a high wire with your – creativity when you're a kid, you know, it's like, who cares if I fall, if I fall, there's another idea there. And, you know, and then you just laugh about it. So it's, it's the, it's the kind of partnership in re in writing that you need. And Lucas and I have it. It's that yes. And, um, improv rule that, that as an actor, I've heard over and over again, where if somebody says in a scene, if they say, well, what about that horse you brought home two years ago? Don't, go to the negative and say, what are you talking about? I didn't bring a horse home. Take it and run with it and go, yes, but that horse I named after you. And it's a, <laughs> it becomes this positive thing. So when you're writing with somebody, don't shake your head no. If you're standing, you know, the worst thing that can happen is if I'm sitting there and I'm writing and I look over and, and uh, Lucas is standing there and shaking his head. He would never do that. That's a bad uh, thing to do in the creative process because there are no bad ideas. Don't censor yourself. This is what I encourage people to do in script writing, friends of mine. I say, get the bad version of it out because with the bad comes so much good and you can then edit later, but finish the process. Take it all the way to the end until you type the words, the end. Then go back and go, what was I thinking? And take <laughs> this out. But there are great ideas in there and don't be afraid you know, when you sit down on day two, don't go back to the beginning and say, let me see how the opening of this movie, the first scene is, and let me try and rewrite that. And don't do that. Keep going. And you'll finish and you'll have a sense of accomplishment. And a book is the same way. There are so many times where I would throw something out and I knew that Lucas would catch me. He was there for me. He was my safety net. There weren't any bad ideas. And he would throw something out at me and I may not agree with it, but I'm like, Oh yeah. Well, okay. Okay. Well, what if, and I might go directly against what he just came up with creatively, but I'm doing it in a way that just adds to his creativity. So there you'll never go down. You're just getting better and better and better. And, and that is a very hard thing to find, especially with someone. I didn't know if he was a storyteller. I thought maybe Lucas was just an animator um, and a, and a, you know, an illustrator. He's an award-winning cartoonist, but, who knows? People are different. Their personalities get in the way. And he is a kid, just like I am, absolute kid at heart. And it, it's really been an amazing process working with him. And, it, and it all, you know, the people around me, I think that's why I'm like I am, you know, where I tend to, the, the problem with being this way is that you kind of love every idea that's out there. So <laughs> in, our, in my production office, I'll have, you know, a PA will come by and go, hey, I was thinking about something. What about, and I'll be like, oh, that's great, you know, <laughs> because I want to encourage people. And suddenly I've got a new project that I'm working on, you know, so <laughs> you have to kind of be, you know, realistic with those things too. But it's fun. It's the way, it's the way I kind of, uh, you know, live my creative life. Well, what a wonderful creative life. It's been such a joy to talk with you. 
I know we have to let you go soon. I did want to ask you, though, what do you hope kids will take away from your book? I really hope that kids read Dream Jumper and let their imagination run. I, I hope that we've opened the door to a new world and a new world of possibilities that will help them go to sleep and think of the endless possibilities of dreaming and sleeping instead of thinking about what is possibly, you know, the, a scary monster in your sleep. I mean, we, we do deal with a lot of these dark, you know, villain characters, but we have a very strong pro- protagonist and I, I really hope that there's a lot of wish fulfillment and, you know, identifiable, like positive stuff that, that they can take from it. And, and also, I hope this encourages other kids, you know, kids out there to think about what they would do if they were a dream jumper. We want to do a campaign. We want to go around to schools and encourage kids to read and also look for the next dream jumper out there. So if you had the ability to jump in and out of your friend's dreams, what would you do? Gosh, this is terrific. All right, I'm going to remember this when I go to sleep tonight. Thank (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so very much, Greg. Congratulations, and we wish you continued success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and the support for the book. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Now the incredible author-illustrator Lucas Turnblum will talk with us by phone from San Diego. Hi, Lucas. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. First off, you are quite the accomplished cartoonist and illustrator. We'd love for you to tell our listeners how you got your start. Wow. So during college, I sort of fell back in love with comic strips. You know, comics have been a part of my entire life. And I started doing comic strips while I was in college. And I thought, you know what, I'd love to make my living out of this. And then once I got out of college, I realized, hey, the newspaper market's not doing so well. So (laughs) I had to find other ways of doing comics, which involved a lot of uh, selling spot illustrations and doing web comics. And, And at the time, we had two major newspapers in San Diego, which is where I'm from. And one of them was looking for a, a cartoonist for their editorial page. So I got that job, and, and that's basically how I got my start early on in the early 2000s. Were you always drawing as a kid? Yeah, I've been drawing since, really since day one. Uh, we have early drawings in my parents' garage of before I started school, mostly uh, just these weird blobs, but I like to pretend it's like early Peanuts drawings, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, but honestly, they're just scribbles. And my parents kept them because I'm the oldest kid, so everything is adorable. <laughs> so, And I bet there are a million more photos of you than the, there are of the younger ones. Well, now, how did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> I have some older siblings myself. <laughs> it's like three photos <laughs> of me. <laughs> Now, my wife and I made that vow to never do that with our two kids. So we have an equal amount of photos uh, of both of our boys. But to be honest, they're so close in age, they're almost like twins. So <laughs> if we if we had a third child, that child would probably not have so many photos, oh I would guess. Oh, my gosh. But. That's very funny. That's <laughs> very funny. What were your implements? Did you just use pencil or did you, you know, crayons or pastels when you were drawing as a kid? I never liked crayons. I never liked... Um, markers so much i i what my two big things were just pencil i love to this day i still love pencil if i could do the graphic novel in pencil i would do it so graphite is like my number one 
And they had these pens in the 80s. I don't know if they have them now, but they were the the pens that had the four different inks in them. They had the black, red, blue, and green. And I had that thing everywhere with me from the time, I think from the second grade to the fifth grade. That's That was what I used. <laughs> because that was, <laughs> to me, the greatest thing ever. It's like, I don't need this big bag of Crayola pens. I got this one pen that's got almost all the colors I need. So oh, that that's what wonderful. I used. And then when I, when I got into junior high, high school, and college, I... You, I did a combination of graphite, pen and ink, and charcoal. Char- I love charcoal. To this yeah. day, I, I will draw. If I can get a charcoal drawing done, I will do it. And and I in college, I actually was considering becoming a fine artist until I fell back in love with comic strips. And I thought, you know what? I need to make this change. And that was actually kind of difficult because I, I was on my way to being a fine artist. And then I had to pretty much change my style back to comics. And that took a little bit of a transition. It took me a few years to kind of get the handle on that, but I'm glad I did. What about reading? Did you read a lot as a kid or what did you gravitate toward? What kind of books? My favorite series when I was growing up was the Dragon Blood, the Pit Dragon Chronicles from Jamie Nolan. Those books, I loved those books. And the first three Terry Brooks, uh, Shannara books, those were huge for me. But I think what I always went back to were, were comics. I loved Calvin and Hobbes. I loved Peanuts. And the Far Side was huge with oh, me. Yeah. I loved The Far Side. And I did read comic books more towards high school, like Batman, Superman. Uh, I was a DC guy, not a Marvel guy. I don't know if I can say that or not. <laughs> That's I, fine. I always get in trouble when I say that. So those were kind of like my, 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 my go-tos always. And then when I got in college, this, you know, being from San Diego, I'm ashamed to admit this, that I just kind of discovered Bone later on instead of early on, because Jeff Smith's been going to Comic-Con for years. I've been going to Comic-Con for years. And I, you know, I just, I discovered him later on. And that was, that was huge for me. That kind of opened my eyes as to what graphic novels could be, what comics could be. And so that was, I, I kind of um, fell in love with the Bone books. Um, was, it was in college. That was, that was really huge for me. Now let's move on over to Dream Jumper. As you know, we spoke with Greg earlier and he told us how the book came about, but we'd love for you to tell our listeners what drew you to the project. Well, at the time I was doing two comics, comic strips. I was doing my own web comic, which was syndicated online with Universal Press Syndicate. And then I was doing a web comic for Greg's epilepsy charity site called talkaboutit.org. And that, that happened kind of, kind of strangely, actually. Greg and I met briefly during a Heroes meet and greet in San Diego, and I offered him art to sell for his charity. And at the time there were, there were hundreds of people there. So it was just kind of like this, this one guy in the audience. I said, Hey, I got some art. I'd like to sell it, help you raise money for your charity. He gave me the number for his epilepsy uh, charity people. And I had been working with them for a long, long time. And he finally kind of got wind of the, of the, of the comic about a year into it. And he really enjoyed it. And so he started tweeting it out. And one comic con, he's like, Hey, uh, I don't, I can't remember if we ever met but let's meet at Comic-Con and sign some stuff for this comic and we can do stuff for the charity. So I'm like, great. So we, we, we scheduled a time to meet at Comic-Con. And when he came down, we did a, you know, a brief little um, thing for the, the comic strip. And then he told me about this idea called Dream Jumper. And he said, and he, and he explained to me that, that his son had had a dream and he explained the basic concept of Dream Jumper. He's like, what do I do with this? What does this sound like to you? And to me, as soon as he said it to me, it just screamed graphic novel because I hadn't heard anything quite like that. I'm like, that's perfect. You know, that, that would just be graphic novel. And at the time I didn't know that he was discussing it with his best friends 
uh, best friend, J.J. Abrams. And I, I did not know his best friend was J.J. Abrams, but I guess J.J. said the exact same thing. So Greg is like, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's work on this. So I took the concept, came up with a, like a really crude rough draft. And then he and I spent the next several months working over it and getting, getting to the story that we have now. And that's basically how Dream Jumper got started. I know that we talked to you earlier, you have two children. Could you tell us how they have influenced your work as a cartoonist and an illustrator and even as a reader? Wow, that's an interesting question because a lot of times I kind of make it my policy to not really bring the kids in too much to what I do because I don't want to, I want them to discover stuff on their own. I don't want them to like something because daddy likes it. So a lot of times if I'm drawing, I will do it when they're occupied or if they're at school or if they're at, you know, karate practice. But with Dream Jumper, I oftentimes would bring them in and say, does this make you laugh or does this scare you? How would you think that this character would get out of this situation? And I always want to hear how they, how they see things. And and that's, that to me is one of the best type of reader responses I can get is because they're brutally honest with me. They're like, Oh, that's not funny. That character looks ugly. His eyes should be bigger that's not scary. So, so I kind of use them as my own market research, which is great, you know, because they're always accessible, you know? Yeah, that's terrific. The illustrations in Dream Jumper are a little scary at times. They're also humorous, but I feel like you're delving into very serious emotional territory here. Many Mm -hmm. of us recall our dreams and nightmares, and it's tough enough for us to have them, much less go into someone else's dream, much less to illustrate them. I wondered what the emotional toll or the emotional factor is for you in creating such vivid images of such really, I don't profoundly, uh, sometimes disturbing <laughs> concepts. <laughs> you know, I want there to be, you know, the, the emotional impact. Uh, we were trying to balance between too scary and not scary enough. We were trying to make sure that it makes an emotional impact with the kids, but not scare them to death. Mm -hmm. And that was the very fine line we were trying to walk in Dream Jumper, the first one. The second Dream Jumper, which I'm currently working on right now, we're trying to push that a little bit more. We we have scary creatures, I would say a little more scary, but I mean, we definitely want to make sure, we don't want to sugarcoat this for kids. We want them to look at this as like, this is an exciting book and there's just going to be these, I'm going to get the, you know, I'm going to get scared to death, but I'm going to love being scared to death. So that, that was kind of the goal of the art for this book. And actually the story too, because the overall story of this series of books is about family. It's about emotion and it's about friendship. And we really feel that that's the best way to connect the kids with these stories is to bring them in emotionally. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you, that you looked at it like that because that's, that's the goal. We, we were trying to walk that fine line, but we want to make sure that the kids have an emotional attachment to this book. And so far, That seems to be working. I've heard that a lot from kids. Okay. I have an emotional attachment to it as well. So I'm really looking forward to book two. I want to find out. Oh, (laughs) fantastic. I want to find out about those government characters working behind the scenes there. Yes. Yes. We have a huge backstory with that. And that's going to be, that's going to be incredibly fun when we get to that. I'm delighted to hear that. And just before I let you go, I'd love to hear what some of your favorite images or which characters did you most enjoy drawing in Dream Jumper, book one? Oh my gosh. There, there is a uh, two-page spread right in the middle of the book where there's about 10,000 of these little creatures. We call them noxes. They're basically like these little trolls that are kind of amorphous. They change into different nightmares for different people. And that page 
when I look at it, it was incredible because it took me several days to do it. Cause there literally is thousands of these things on the page. And when I, every time I see that, I just, I, I remember that, that, incredible feeling of accomplishment and plus those things are hilarious to draw because they have all these weird emotions they have these giant mouths and these 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 opaque kind of you know eyes and they're just to me there's they're just i mean they're, they're frightening if you look at it if you're just opening the book the yes. first time you look at it you're like oh what are those things but they're actually hilarious to me and i don't know why because you wouldn't assume that but in the next book they have some very very kind of humorous moments and and to me those characters were were so much fun to draw and i I love those two pages in the book i i my book is here and i don't remember the page numbers but if you open right to the middle it's right in the middle and and the other the other was the uh the nightmare lord that guy to me i mean i had worked on that that concept for so long when i finally nailed the look of that character i was extremely happy and i love the fact that we had actually had a lot more of him in the book that we cut out. And I'm glad that we did that because his part's coming and it's going to be huge and frightening. And I'm so glad we only gave a taste of it in Dream Jumper 1 because what's coming is just going to be amazing. Oh man, that is so great. And I call our listeners' attention to the teeth of these characters, which are pretty hilarious too. <laughs> the fangs. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The fangs. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I had remembered, I heard a story a long time ago, they were saying with younger kids, when it comes to teeth, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of cartoonists, you have to be careful with how you do it because the way that the teeth are drawn can really scare kids. And I, I thought about that when I was drawing these characters. Like, I'm like, you know what? You're right. So we can have the fangs, but we also need to have the, the weird kind of jagged teeth and the giant front uh-huh. teeth. And we need to be humorous about it, but scary at the same time. And I think we accomplished that. I hope we did. You did. But you did. I feel we did. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Wow. What a detail. It's all in the details. That's right. Well, Lucas, thank you so very much for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to add before we let you go? Um, it's been a blast working on these books, and I hope everybody enjoys it. And get them at the school fairs, guys. They're there. All Pick right. All right. <laughs> thank you, Lucas. Thank you. Now, here's David Saylor in the studio. He'll give us his take on Dream Jumper and the rise in popularity of graphic novels. David, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great that you're here. First, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your own role here at Scholastic and what your days are like. Well, I'm the editorial director of the Graphics Imprint, which means that I supervise all the acquisitions as well as the creative direction for all of the books that Graphics publishes. And I'm also um, the creative director in the trade division, so I work on picture books and illustrated novels. I've worked on a lot of the Harry Potter books, in fact, all of them, which has been amazing. So, um, yeah, so I have a very interesting job here where I can do many, many different things. Graphic novels, as you know, are having their moment. And why do you think they appeal to readers so much, especially reluctant readers? I think what's great about graphic novels is that for kids who are struggling with reading, the images that go along with the with the writing, with the words, helps them decode sort of what the story is about. They can read the emotions and then, then they can read the text. And so for kids who are having trouble sort of figuring out sentence structure and plot and story and emotion, graphic novels are sort of a perfect fit for them because they can see the artwork, they can get a lot of visual information and story from that, but they also read the words, which helps them fill in the entire story. So the two of them together 
are just an amazing fit. And we know that comics, everyone loves comics, but particularly for reluctant readers, it's amazing. And I've heard so many stories, particularly with, with the graphics list of parents who have told me that the first book that their kid has read all the way through has been a graphic novel. And so that's been really incredible and exciting and rewarding just to know that we're helping kids read. Absolutely. There was a time, as you know, when graphic novels were not considered to be real books, as it were. How did that tide change, and what is a real book, for that matter? Well, graphic novels are definitely real books, and that's something that's changed over the years. I think it started, comics were somehow less than prose, sort of started in the 1950s in the U.S. because there was a congressional hearing about comics, and Congress basically said that comics could be bad for kids. And even though this was completely untrue and unproven, it sort of tainted the comics industry for many, many years, and so it made them sort of a lesser-than property or project in in the world of literature. And so all of that kind of changed. And I can accredit this a lot to Art Spiegelman, whose book Mouse really made a huge impact. It sort of proved that comics could tackle a very difficult subject matter, but do it in a brilliant way. And it was one of the first sort of longer comics or graphic novels that got enormous attention in the literary world and in the popular world. And um, from that, I think it sort of started the ball rolling of everyone realizing that comics could be incredible literature and that you can tell any sort of story in comics, whether it's memoir or whether it's a great adventure story like Dream Jumper. It encompasses everything, and you can tell any kind of story in that world. That's a fascinating trajectory, thinking also of Roz Chast's book yes. about her parents. I yes. tell people that it's a great book. that book does for elder care what Artie Spiegelman did for the Holocaust. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> you know, yes. Two really difficult subjects. Topics, subjects, but they tackle them so beautifully and so movingly and so, dare I say, humorously. Absolutely. I'm amazed that Congress wasn't tainted by those hearings rather than (laughs) (laughs) comics, but whatever. I absolutely love Dream Jumper. I just think it's, it's magical. And it had so many twists and turns that I did not anticipate. I feel like I guess I'd be a great eight-year-old boy. I don't know. (laughs) But what was it like to work on at least book one, Nightmare Escape? It was so much fun to work on. And and mostly what was so fun about it was working with Greg and Lucas, who created the book. And because they're so enthusiastic about the story and about the book, it made working on it incredibly fun. And basically what came in is that they had a proposal with some sketches and a partial manuscript. And I loved it immediately. And I thought, this is a book that that I would have loved when I was eight, nine, and 10 years old. And it's got to be something that we have to put on our list. And I love the story. I think the idea of being able to jump into other people's dreams and to save them from evil things that are happening is a, a terrific you know, subject. And it's also just a great adventure. And so you can really identify with the kids and the characters. There's lots of great scary monsters as well as a great ending. So all the twists and turns, all the adventure are really amazing. I don't want to give anything away here to our potential readers of this book, but I wondered about the references to war, and this had me think of World War II. Is there any sort of people who jumped out of a plane or the whole sort of 
backstory of the CIA? I think because it's, you know, Greg is, a, is an actor, as you know, and has been in a lot of franchise movies like Star Wars and Star mm-hmm. Trek and Heroes on TV. And so I think he pulls a lot from pop culture and from the history of the United States and from conspiracy theories yes, and all yes, that sort yes. of stuff. And so he's, he's <laughs> used all that. Not to mention internet trolls, right? <laughs> yes, he's like used it all together to create this sort of amazing just mix of adventure and spy theories and, you know, conspiracy theories and fantasy and adventure. Can you walk us through the process of what it's like to create, edit, and publish a graphic novel? You can take Dream Jumper or any other book in your repertoire. Sure. Well, usually what we get when uh, someone is making a proposal for a graphic novel is that they'll create maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 pages of artwork and text in sketch form. But it looks like a comic book, and it'll show us an example of what the artwork would look like and also how the story would read and also how they would use the paneling and the artwork to tell the story. And so we'll get a proposal like that in from a creative team or from one person. And we'll also usually get a plot summary of the entire book or a plot summary of a series if it's a series that someone is planning. And what we do is just sort of read it and evaluate it like we would a manuscript. We read it, we think about it. I think about whether it resonates with me or whether it excites me when I read it or whether I I laugh or, you know, and whenever I get a great emotional response to a proposal, I know that there's something there and it's something that we have to acquire for the list because it either made me laugh or it made me really excited or I got scared or I got, you know, jazzed up about something. So it usually comes in like that. And then once we acquire the project, we work very closely. In this case, Adam Rao was the editor of Dream Jumper. And we work very closely going through all of the manuscript stages. There's usually a manuscript for the entire book, as well as sketches for the entire book. We go from that into sort of tighter pencils, which are then we critique and go over very carefully and also perfect the manuscript. And then from the pencils, we go to inks, which are very sort of the beautiful black line work that you see in this book. And then from the inks, we go to a colorist who puts in all of the color and adds atmosphere. And so it's a it's a very involved process and mm-hmm. it takes a long time and it's a labor of love for all of the artists and writers that work on the graphics books. It's a labor of love, and comics creators are very passionate about their work, and and they tend to work a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, and passionately, which is wonderful. Now, speaking of passion, I know you have a wonderful, exciting new contest out there for possibly young artists and writers who create comics? We do. We have a great contest, which we just uh, announced at Comic-Con in San Diego in July, and it's open to anyone over 18 who hasn't been published before. What we wanted to do was was open up the world of publishing to young creators who may be intimidated by publishing or they don't live in the New York City area. They don't know publishers. They don't know a creative director like me. They don't know editors. And so this is a way for them to show their work to a publisher for us to review it and look at it and hopefully for a chance for them to get published. But we wanted to open it up to everyone across the United States, wherever they are. And we're going to be traveling across the United States during the year uh, at various comic book conventions and other areas so that we can meet with some people who are interested in working for the graphics list. But hopefully what we're doing is just opening up the world of publishing to a much broader audience because we're always looking for new talent. And we hope that this is going to be a great way to bring some interesting and fresh new story ideas to the graphics list. That's a terrific idea. Well, thank you so very much, David. Is there anything else you'd like to add? 
All I can say is that I love comics, and uh, if you haven't read comics recently, you should jump in because we're in a golden age of children's comics in particular. And hopefully Graphics is providing some of those amazing comics that you're going to love. I agree. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks again to Greg, Lucas, and David for joining us today. And thank you for joining us and for sharing in our mission at Scholastic, where we believe that the right book in a child's hands can open a world of possible. Special thanks to producer Morgan Baden, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Everell. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.